Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we are going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who will be announcing the winner of last month's contest and has another chance for you to win. We'll cover the latest happenings in the genealogy world with the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad, who will be reporting from the NGS conference in Raleigh, North Carolina. In our top tips segment, we'll be looking at some census records that you may not have worked with before with Kurt Witcher of the Allen County Library. We'll be spotlighting Footnote.com, one of the websites that made the Family Tree Magazine 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots list. And in the Best of Family Tree Magazine segment, we'll continue our discussion of census records with David Frixell, author of two articles in the magazine's archives. There's lots to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. month's uh, editor segment, we've brought back Allison Stacy to the show to talk about a special theme we've got going in this podcast episode. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, it looks like as, as the episode has come together, we kind of had a theme that, that evolved. It looks like we are really going to be focusing on census this time, right? Absolutely. You know, that's probably one of the most popular topics among genealogists. And so we've got several segments in this episode that will give you all the information that you are probably craving about using census records. Well, there have been so many great articles in the past. Um, I know in the magazine, and you've got new ones coming up, and and they can look forward to hearing from David Frixell a little bit later in the show on a couple of different past articles. But, you know, there's always new things to learn about the census. And uh, I know that you've been working on some, some kind of new technology, and that's online webinars. So tell us all about it. Can we look forward to maybe some census education online? You bet. In fact, our next online workshop is all about online census secrets, the best websites, and search tips to find your ancestors. So Diane Haddad, our managing editor, and I are going to be giving the presentation, and we're going to walk through some of the websites where you can find census records. We're also going to um, actually demonstrate those searches and sites right on screen so you can kind of see how they work and get a feel for some of the tricks that you can use to research more effectively. And that workshop is going to take place on May 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And just for the listeners, this is really live time. I mean, this is you and Diane on one end of the phone and them calling in. Explain how the online webinar works and how you guys can really all interact live. It really is pretty cool. It's kind of like taking a um, seminar at a genealogy society meeting, for example, except that you do it on your computer. Um, So you can do it in your pajamas if you want. (laughs) And um, you just sit at your computer and you'll see the presentation that Diane and I give on your screen. There's um, some chat boxes off to the side of the screen where you can ask questions and um, also get help if you have any technical issues. But then you You'll also hear the presentation as we give it, and then at the end, we have a Q- open Q&A session where you're able to get answers to your specific questions. So it really is like participating in a live event. And they're, they're really watching your screen on their screen at that time, aren't they? Exactly, which is how we're able to demonstrate the online census websites, because we can um, you know, put 
what we're doing right in front of the participants' eyes, and you can literally follow along and watch as we demonstrate. Well, it sounds great, and I think what a wonderful opportunity to be able to interact with you and Diane, who are working with this information every single day, and and to gain some of the new insights that you're also um, picking up on from your own work, as well as the all the great authors that, that write for the magazine. So again, that's May 27th at 7 p.m., and do they sign up there right at the Family Tree Magazine website? Absolutely. We um, have an online workshops area of our website at familytreemagazine.com slash online workshops, and then we'll have a link in the show notes that goes directly to this um, particular event. Registration is $49.99, and it's open until right the minute of the event, so you can join at any point. I should mention... After the event is over, you actually get to um, get a link where you'll have online access to the workshop recording after the session concludes, so you can go back and watch it again. You also get a PDF of the slides for future reference, a PDF of an article on census research, and a quick reference chart that will show which websites have censuses and indexes. And certainly this online census secrets isn't the only workshop that you offer in the webinar format, is it? No, we're going to be doing more workshops in the future. We did one a few weeks ago on Google, and um, we want to do more. But, of course, we want to do the ones that um, genealogists out there want to participate in. So we'd like to get your feedback. And as a little bit of incentive, we have another contest this month. We'll be giving away one free class at genclass.com of your choice to anybody who would like to be entered in the drawing just send us an email to ftmpodcast at gmail.com and let us know a topic that you're interested in for an online workshop and you'll be entered in the drawing so you'll be um, taking the listener's input and being able to use that to then kind of fashion your future classes to make sure you're hitting on the great topics. Terrific. And speaking of contests, we actually have a winner to announce this podcast episode. Yes, we do. The winner of the Family Tree Passport to Europe CD is Jennifer Benedict. And we got a lot of terrific entries, including Jennifer's, and everybody had such neat ideas about things that they wanted to hear about, not only on the show, but also for magazine articles. So um, even though you may not have won this contest, keep an eye out because chances are you may be seeing one of your topics in the magazine or keep an ear out and you may be hearing it here on the show. That's right. And congratulations to Jennifer. Well, lots going on. We'll launch into our census theme episode today. And in the meantime, folks can also write in and enter for that chance to win the Gen Class class by giving us some information about what they'd like to hear about in webinars. And again, congratulations to Jennifer. Thanks so much, Allison. Thank you, Lisa. we've got a very special edition of the blogosphere segment today. Managing editor and genealogy insider blogger Diane Haddad is coming to us from the National Genealogical Society Conference in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hi, Diane. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, How's the conference going? It's wonderful. We've had a lot of attendees and booth visitors, and it seems like there's a lot of new people here, faces we haven't seen before. So that's exciting to see some new people. Oh, yeah. And I know one of the fun things about going to genealogy conferences is that a lot of the providers of genealogy services, um, the big record sites like Ancestry and Footnote and FamilySearch, um, they oftentimes kind of make some big announcements. So have there been any announcements or any uh, insider tips that you've picked up while there? 
I have picked up um, a few things, not necessarily big announcements, but more here's what's coming down the road. So, um, yeah, so that's been kind of interesting to hear. Um, One thing that Jenline said, they're the Swedish church records site. And if you have Swedish ancestry, that's the site that you need to be on to find your ancestors. They don't currently have a name index. You have to know the parish, but they are working on developing a name index. There's a feature that will allow users to transcribe a record when they find um, the record of their ancestor. And then that transcription will become available to other users so that we'll be building a name index for Genline. So I know a lot of people will be happy to hear about that. Yeah, um, they're, they're at genline.com and I, and I know that if you have challenges in finding the parish name, um, they actually have kind of a service there that you can ask for their help. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you don't have to, to wait to get that. You can actually inquire with them and then, and it sounds like this new service will take it even further. Great. Yes, yes. Um, something else we heard about, um, Footnote is working on putting together an American Indian records collection. Um, it'll have some of the censuses that they have and some new records as well. And that in the next couple of months, nobody ever likes to say, here's when we're going to have this ready. Um, because, yeah, yeah you, can, you can't necessarily guarantee. Um, so that's what they've been saying. I talked to Ilya Diodizio at Live Roots, that online genealogy resources directory site, and he was um, working on some interesting changes that will allow users to build a project where um, you search for you know a number of different resources and then you can put those all into um, a project maybe for a certain county or a certain surname that you're researching and just to kind of help you organize your online research and that way you can go back and repeat the searches you'll know when you checked a certain website and how many results you had at that time you can have as many different projects as you would like so that just kind of helps you keep everything straight and together and um, stay a little bit more organized that way. Oh, great. And then um, didn't you, you mentioned to me um, that you had gone into an ancestry meeting. What's new with ancestry? There were a few um, different speakers and different topics that came up. And um, one of the more interesting ones that I think genealogists have been talking about is the old search versus the new search. Yeah. And um, Tony Macklin is the person who's working on um, improving the user experience as far as the search goes. And he basically was very frank about saying, here's what um, people were finding is wrong with the new search. Um, he's said that their research shows that more experienced genealogists tend to go with the old search and the newer users tend to go with the new search. And I think what people are finding is wrong with the new search is one thing is that it takes more steps to do the kind of search you wanted to with the new search and the results weren't organized the same way so to filter down through to the results you wanted um, was more difficult. And those individual databases, the search forms for those in the new search are not as customized. So Uh. he even said that when he himself searches, he goes and looks at the old search if he's looking at an individual (laughs) database. Well, it's nice. He sounds like he's being frank about it. I know in doing it as well, I'm finding the same thing in, in terms of trying to conduct a more advanced search. Yeah, there's there seems to be more steps and... 
and more sifting through. But I could right. see how the new search is um, helping new users kind of get to some of the quick and easy things right off the bat. Right, right. And so what they would like to do is to take the good things about both and put them together rather than run the two platforms side by side forever. Yeah. Um, Because that sort of divides up your resources for development. So Absolutely. um, Yeah. So that might be comforting to people who are worried that, oh my gosh, they're going to take away my old search, you know, the old reliable search that I use. So, um, so that, that's some good news there. Um, so it's still a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. So improving the user experience is a big focus. And um, they talked about um, making it easier for members to get in touch with each other and to find other members' um, contributions to the site and then connecting the members with the content that they're interested in. And one of the nice things is I, I would assume that the visitors who are coming to NGS are having a chance to um, talk to these people up close and personal and, and see some of these things being um, demonstrated right there on computer terminals and being able to get a feel for what's coming down the road. It's um, always fun. That's one of the fun elements, I think, of conferences, isn't it? <laughs> right. Getting to use new products. And I think it's also helpful for the exhibitors because you can see how someone is using your website and what what points are confusing them and what points they immediately gravitate to. So that's helpful as far as developing websites and products. Makes perfect sense. Well, Diane, as always, thank you so much for being kind of our uh, reporter on the site (laughs) and giving us the scoop about what's been coming up. In keeping with our topic of census records, I thought I would share with you a conversation that I had last fall at the FGS conference in Philadelphia with Kurt Witcher of the Allen County Library. He's going to tell us all about the special non-population census records. Well, I am sitting here on a wood block of some type here in the FGS Conference Hall here in Philadelphia with Kurt Witcher. Not a bad companion to hang out with for a few minutes and watch the folks scurrying and trying to decide where they're going to go in the next class. Kurt, I just sat in on your terrific presentation. I had a full audience. They were jazzed about it. And it was all about stuff. (laughs) All the good stuff. Maybe some stuff we've missed. And um, tell us specifically what kind of stuff you were focusing on. Well, we were focusing on all of the stuff, to use, use that term, that was created historically around the federal population schedules. When people hear census, they automatically think of population schedules. But as, as we discussed last hour, that there's more, way more than just federal population schedules. There's agricultural, and manufacturing, and mortality, and veterans. And, and then we kind of ended the hour just kind of showing people how many other types of enumerations there are, sort of under that banner of all that other stuff. Because if you just think of federal population schedules as your only census record, you're missing so many possible records from all of the non-population schedules that were taken in conjunction with the census records, with the population schedules, but all those other enumerations. And when people think census, I would like them to think, you know, enumeration of all kinds, local, state, federal. And you can find some amazing information, as we saw during the presentation. And you know, as you were talking about that, and, and you know, most of us have run across an agricultural right. enumeration, and um, sometimes the business ones. And I guess it's because they're tacked on to the end of a population schedule. 
And I started thinking, now, why is it I've missed some of these? And I'm guessing it's because they're not easily accessed through Ancestry or Heritage Quest. Am I, am I correct on that? You are. Um, and, and, and that's unfortunate. Um, uh, the exciting thing about the, the 21st century is that so many people have come to genealogy over the web. Um, yes. we, we jokingly call them, you know, the born digital genealogists. I mean, <laughs> they haven't come to seminars or, or workshops. They've come to genealogy uh, through things like podcasts and blogs sure. and, and, and really large sites like Ancestry. Um, the sort of, you know, maybe small downside to that is if information aggregators like Ancestry don't put them out there on their websites, then people don't know about them. And, you don't and know what you don't exist. know. Exactly. 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 That's and, perfect. And the world of, of resources looks a bit narrower. And boy, did you just kind of blow the ceiling off of that for everybody. I could see the eyes opening and saying, whoa, I thought I understood what was out there, and I think I've missed a few things. Right. And um, I think you mentioned about seven different ones. Um, and not every one of them has a name, but there was quite a variety of information. Uh, one of them even had signatures, which yes. I love. You know, you were, you were saying, made a comment about, oh, there's some folks who love to collect, you know, the signatures. I'm one of them. I think that, I think that's fun. It's just a lot of fun on top of it. Yeah. So um, maybe you could just touch on some of those differences and the fact that not each, you know, every enumeration is different, isn't it? It, it really is. And um, what we joked about during the session, you know, uh, we all... Most of us like CSI, you know, we, yeah. we like to show the crime <laughs> scene investigators. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, in many ways, those same forensic, evaluative, evidence-gathering skills are what we do as, as exactly. family historians. And if we can think about population schedules and census records as enumerations and kind of put on our CSI mindset, well, we're really trying to find not just one, but as many enumerations as we can, then we get more leads. We can find mm -hmm. more records. Um, a couple of the ones that we looked at, the social schedules, for example, they don't list a single name on the social schedules, mm -hmm. but you know all the taxes that are collected. So now you know, okay, if I go to the courthouse and I'm looking for tax records, I know for this county I should find, you know, these three or four types of tax records. If we're doing research in a county, the social schedules tell us what newspapers were published, whether they that were weekly or monthly. Yes. They tell us all the denominations that are represented in that county and how many churches there were. So if we're pretty certain our ancestors were Lutheran or were Baptist, well, we know that there's a finite number. There's two Baptist churches in, in this, and then we can set out finding, okay, which ones were they? Uh, where were they? Uh, are there any records? Uh, and that's remain? funny. It made me think of brick walls. We think we have brick walls, and I tend to think maybe they're a little more artificial than we thought because we we found the records that had the names and the dates and the places, but we skimmed over the records that just had tick marks or, you know, newspaper exactly or whatever. Right. And exactly. those were chocked full, the way you showed them to us, of clues to help us break the brick wall because they're going to send us different directions than we would have known to look. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned brick walls. I don't know how, how everyone else uh, you know, deals with or feels about their research, but to me, the thing that scares me or frightens me the most is running into a brick wall or coming to a dead end and really having no real clues about where to go. So I like the methodological, sort of the old stubborn German approach of just, you know, <laughs> slow but steady. You know, just try to mine 
every document for as many clues and pieces of evidence that you possibly can. And, and these non-population enumerations are golden for doing that, particularly if you try to find all of them that exist. I'm guessing with your mindset, you don't have as many brick walls as the rest of us do because there's you're never really quite to the end of the right. corridor. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you have too many different uh, hallways you're looking right. down. Right. Um, so maybe you can, uh, hopefully we've excited people to understand that there are a variety. I'll have um, the major headings on the show notes for this podcast so that people will know what you refer to besides just population. Where would they go to look to find these records? Well, the, 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 the first best place to get just a general flavor for their time period, their state, and their county, uh, three great places. One is to go to the National Archives website, and they can just plug into any browser, archives, plural, archives.gov, and oh, boom, they'll okay. take them right to the National Archives website and look for census headings on their website. They give great downloadable explanations about not just the population schedule, okay. but all of the non-population schedules. And th- they give some treatment in some instances to state census records. Okay. Uh, but generally, it's just the federal records. Second great place to look are the holdings, and, and, and all of them are online. State Library, State Archives, State Historical Society. Those right. three are, are your second tier. Um, state Archives and State Libraries oftentimes have copies of the state census schedules as well as the federal ones. But th- those special state enumerations. Those state ones that happened, that fell between the decades. Exactly. I love that. Exactly. Particularly you showed an, an example of 1895. Oh, it makes you realize that's right, that's right. We're not right. out of luck because 1890 burned. Exactly. So, okay. Exactly. So state archives. And, and state libraries will oftentimes have... You know, references to an actual list of those, what I call the really special enumerations, um, as well as state archives. They'll have microfilm of the uh, dog licenses. Um, depending upon what state codes were in particular areas and time periods, you know, you, you'll have an enumeration of physicians, you'll have an enumeration of taverns keepers, you'll have mm-hmm. an enumeration of individuals who received bounty for wolf pelts. I mean, amazing. <laughs> wow. What a variety. Well, this has just been a a ton of fun. I'm so glad I I snuck into your class and got myself a seat. It was a full house. Um, But, Kurt, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And um, maybe last thing, did you have any suggestions on articles or books or things to point listeners to to learn more about these unique and very special uh, enumerations? Ancestry is the source has a great chapter on census records that really covers the waterfront on all these different types of enumerations. We've been trying to coax them to make that electronic. Oh, yeah. So on their website, we could find that much more easily. Also, if you go to the National Genealogical Society has published a number of records, and the National Genealogical Society quarterly has been, you know, the... the profession standard for a long time on these methodology articles and a number of census articles over the years have been published in that quarterly as well as case studies on how people have used these special enumerations too. So if you you look at them and you go, "Uh uh-oh, they still look like tick marks to me, you could go and read a case study and maybe then see how somebody turned that into something viable. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. In this episode's 101 Best Websites for Genealogy segment, we are going to take a look at a website that's featured on the list that brings together documents and the researcher community. 
and it's become very popular amongst genealogists, and that is Footnote.com. And I'm very pleased to welcome Justin Schroffer, Marketing Director at Footnote, to tell us more about it. Hi, Justin. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad that you could join us. I know that um, Footnote has launched a very new cool tool this week, but before we get there, I'd love to have you just kind of give our listeners an overview of the Footnote website, just in case they haven't had a chance to check it out yet. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how Footnote works and what we might expect to find there. Well, you kind of described it fairly well, where we bring documents that we've been scanning together with uh, other entities like the National Archives, and we pull that together with a researcher community and give them tools to where they can enhance those documents and uh, share and preserve those discoveries that they have in a way that uh, we think is kind of a fun and engaging way. And so that's kind of what we've been doing. We have now over 50 million images that we've uh, scanned and indexed on our site. And uh, again, we've got these tools where our members have actually been contributing anything from annotations to photos to documents and stories. So it's really a history website that is uh, kind of revealing a new face of history through all these new discoveries. Now, one of the things that I know listeners have asked me is, does Footnote only exclusively have National Archives type records, or do you also have other types of records? We actually have been working with other um, uh, other archives or other uh, entities that have uh, records. We've been working with Allen County Public Library, um, Harris County, with some of the records that they have. Um, we have some historical newspapers that we've been receiving from a variety of organizations. So we do um, a lot of the stuff that we have been digitizing has been coming from the National Archives, but we do work with other groups. We're actually working with um, some other state archives, and we'll have some kind of some exciting news in the next uh, couple weeks on some of the projects that we've been working with um, those state archives as well. Oh, that's great. Now, people become subscribers to the website to access these digital images. Is that an annual subscription or a monthly, or are there options? How does that work? Yeah, we have options. Basically, you would need a paid membership only if you wanted to see uh, some of the documents that we have scanned. The indexes that we create for those images, all of the indexed information is free on the site. So it really makes searching a lot easier and where you can get uh, quite a bit of information. And if you want to see the actual image that we have digitized, that's where you would need to have a paid membership where you could actually get a monthly membership um, or an annual membership. We even have a pay-per-image model where if you only wanted to get access to that one image, um, you could pay a a very small fee and, and just have access to that particular image. So that would be the only time that you would need a paid membership. Um, other documents and content that our members have been uploading is not only free to do, but it's also free to access. So uh, some things, that very valuable information, people's shoeboxes of information that they've been uploading to our site is all freely accessible as well. Oh, that's great. So before you make a purchase, you really can kind of comb through and see if there are things there that you can use that you would really like to have before you have to kind of take that leap. Yeah, we wanted to put as much information out there as possible for people to make a, a really educated decision whether they want to get into that or not. And we have a, you know, a 30-day money-back guarantee, and we try to make things as, uh, as easy as possible to, to make the right decision and to, you know, if they want to pay for a membership, then they should feel pretty good about what uh, they've done based off of the information they've received. You bet. 
Now, I mentioned in the opening that Footnote really concentrates on community. It's an interactive site. It's a site where people can annotate records and and upload, as you say, their own content. But you guys did something pretty fun this week. Um, We are recording the first week in May of 2009. And tell us a little bit about the new project that you launched this week. To give a little background, we actually have spoken with a lot of genealogists. We've actually gone and visited them in their homes all over the country. And, you know, a lot of feedback we had received was that these family historians or genealogists almost felt alone in their efforts, given the fact that they couldn't really get their own family members to be interested or engaged in family history. And there was a lot of frustration in that. And so we thought that, you know, rather than trying to bring the masses and bring everybody to footnote in order to get engaged with family history, um, an easier way right now is probably to take footnote and the things that you can do on footnote and put it out to the masses. And we thought, well, a great place to do that is on Facebook. And so we created an application called I Remember, where people can actually view and create um, footnote pages on Facebook. And so this basically, hopefully, will open this up to where more people can get engaged and where if you've created any type of uh, footnote pages on footnote, that you can now get your family and your friends um, to be um, to participate a little bit more by using uh, Facebook. So they don't have to leave the Facebook environment. They can stay in that environment where they're comfortable and where they're familiar and yet be able to access this kind of information. And so we've uh, we launched that this week, and we've actually started to see a great um, response already, kind of surprising. And we see everything from people remembering ancestors, so there could be uh, pages about great-grandfathers that are on there where they've uploaded some photos, uh, but we've also seen people that um, have, you know, recently died, and, and having them document some of the, the life events of those people, which, you know, is part of our family history as well, so that's the, the exciting thing that we've launched this week, and it's just really made things fun, and, and again, I think being in this environment, I think, can pull in those people that normally wouldn't participate in doing, say, genealogy or family history. I think that's so true. And I I think what's really clever about it is that these profiles that people can create for their ancestors really just look just like the profiles they create for themselves. So when they're delivering up this ancestry information to their family members on Facebook, the family member is getting it in a format that they recognize. They go, oh, yeah, I get this. Oh, and this is, you know, somebody in my family. I love it that you're bringing it to them in a way that they already understand, they're already into. And certainly not even just the younger generation, but there are lots of folks over 40 who are on Facebook now and kind of taking over, aren't there? There really is. We've actually been reading up on Facebook and studying it. And it, you, surprisingly enough, the group that's growing the fastest on Facebook happen to be kind of the older generation, the baby boomers. And so they're really taking to Facebook and getting engaged and involved in that. And so typically those are the ones that are also uh, more apt to getting involved in family history and genealogy. So we think it's a great match where people can really um, start to get involved. And the other nice thing about it is all the contributions that might be made on Facebook where they don't even have to leave that site are actually featured on Footnote as well. So you could go to either one of the sites and be able to see the content and the contributions that are made through this I Remember application. So if we're in Facebook, how do we locate the I Remember application? That's 
great question. What you can do is on the bottom of Facebook page, you're going to see an Applications button. And yeah. if you were to click on that, uh, there is a way of being able to see the applications that have come out. And so you can get into you know browsing the applications where you can search for I Remember, and that would actually be a good way of doing it. We also have uh, I Remember homepage, and it is http slash apps, apps.facebook.com slash I underscore remember. So it's a little hard to maybe uh, remember, but if you were just to go to that application tab, you should be able to find that underneath there. And so now on uh, probably an easier way is on our current footnote pages, there is a link that is featured on every single footnote page where you can actually view that page on Facebook. And so on the left-hand side, towards the bottom of the page, there will be a link that says to view this page on Facebook. And by clicking on that, it'll take you right into Facebook and it'll show that page on Facebook. And of course, in the show notes for this episode, um, the May 2009 episode, I'll have a link that takes you directly to that application that Justin's talking about so that you can get started right away using it in Facebook and, and bringing your, your extended family into your interest of genealogy. Justin, it sounds like you guys are, are doing wonderful things. Uh, we encourage our listeners to come and visit you. And thanks so much for coming on the show today and telling us all about it. Well, thank you for having us. It was great to talk to you. In keeping with our census theme in this episode, we'll head back into the Family Tree Magazine vaults to pull from two articles, both written by one of our favorite authors, who's with me right now, and that's David Frixell. Hi, David. Hi. So good to have you back. And, uh, you know, I was browsing through the CDs of the magazine's 2005 issues, and I found your article on Surfing the Census from April 2005. And then on the 2007 CD, I found another article um, by you that was called Master the Census. That was on, uh, I think it was in the May 2007 issue. So I knew right off the bat that you were the right guy for this special census episode. So I was hoping we could just jump in and I could ask you to share some of your favorite tips and um, things to be looking for uh, while we're working with online census records. Sure. I think one of the things that that I mentioned in the article that is a pleasant surprise is how much census information you can get for free, because you're used to paying, having to pay for the census on subscription sites like Ancestry.com, which is wonderful. I use it all the time. But if your budget's a little bit more limited, it was, it's exciting to see that you really can find census information for free. And it, it depends on exactly where your ancestors are from, because a lot of these are state-specific sites. Often it's various States typically their state archives who put some or all of their uh, census data online. The, the real star here is Nevada. If you have Nevada ancestors, you're lucky because they have put the, basically the entire U.S. federal census for Nevada is available for free online. Um, other states, it's more hit or miss. Sometimes there may be one census that's online. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Utah, Colorado, Washington, Maryland, Michigan. Uh, Kansas, even the Dakota Territory, they're all little bits and pieces of censuses that you can uh, find online, and that's certainly better than whipping out that credit card. 
Exactly. You know, it's funny, we always kind of think in terms of the entire federal census, but you're really saying we can get kind of state focused and start at the state level first, and maybe we'll just get a freebie right off the bat, like you say, looking at historical societies. And I know US Gen website, oftentimes their state and their county websites have links to some of those, don't they? Exactly. And often you've had, you know, people who have set and transcribed uh, pieces of the census. So if you search the US uh, Gen web, uh, you can often come across those. And it is true, too, that in terms of a nationwide census, the 1880 census, of course, is available for free on Family Search. And if you're lucky enough to have a library that subscribes to uh, Heritage Quest online, you can't personally subscribe to it, but your library can. Uh, they have the complete census all the way through 1930 uh, online. And uh, so you could go to your library, or maybe even you can log in with your library card number from home, which is pretty sweet. And don't some of the libraries now actually have access to Ancestry in their libraries sometimes? Right. There's an Ancestry library edition, and you know it's really hard to beat being able to uh, access the census online compared to you know scrolling microfilm. Um, here you can search. You can view the actual images. You have to be careful because, uh, you know, you're depending on somebody who is transcribed if you're searching. So for one of the tips that we have in the articles, for example, is if you're able to and you get frustrated, if you can search two different census uh, transcriptions, um, you might be able to have better luck. I've been searching for my ancestor, Oscar Lundin. Couldn't find him on Ancestry anywhere, uh, but then tried Heritage Quest. There he was, found him right off the bat, because Heritage Quest transcriber, that particular census was just a little bit more accurate, and so there he was. But if I'd just gone with the one source, I would have figured, you know, he'd somehow dropped into a black hole. That's a great tip. Now, once we get into the census records, and we are kind of searching around, we aren't lucky enough to have, you know, the first couple of tries hit on the right record, what kind of tips do you have for us to, to dig around and find what we're looking for? The most obvious is to try different spelling variations, and I do mean every possible variation. <laughs> Not only might your ancestor's name have been a little bit different back then, but you're depending on some guy who was a census enumerator, you know, getting it right. If you had a last name like Frixell, like mine, you know, there heavenly knows how it might have wound up on the census. <laughs> so try all kinds of spelling variations. Try wild cards if you're able, um, you know, to do that. Then if you're still stumped. It's always good advice to follow the family and to follow neighbors. Uh, Emily Crumo always writes in our magazine about cluster genealogy, and that's really what it comes down to is keep in mind that the people that live next door to your ancestors in a particular census quite possibly migrated with them. So if you can't find them going backwards in time, uh, your family try looking for the neighbors. The neighbors might ultimately have become your family members even. Um, So search those. Search for collateral relatives. You may not really care how some great-great-uncle or distant cousin uh, about their family history, but they may very well have lived in the same places as your family. And so if you can't find your direct ancestor, search for that collateral ancestor. Um, in the census, then, you know, your ancestor may be on the very next page. I had the, sort of a happy accident in finding uh, one of my great, however many greats, grandmothers, 
uh, you know, had no idea that she was in the census. And then looking at the fine print below some collateral relatives of mine, you'll see, oh, here's this other person here. And you realize, oh, that's her. She's, you know, living with uh, the family in the 1880 census, uh, you know, because she's aged and all by herself. And so suddenly there she was after, you know, about a 30-year gap in the census. She uh, suddenly appeared to me next door to, uh, you know, some other relatives. So, oh, wow. Uh, you always keep checking those relatives and neighbors to see uh, if you'll find the, the you thought maybe just got missed by the census completely. Those are such great tips because it is it is funny. The census data kind of goes through several hands before it reaches us. So I imagine that it can morph a little bit. But gosh, I've got some great grandparents that I am just having a heck of a time finding in the 1920 census. And, you know, I'd kind of forgotten about looking at the neighbors. And you're right, because sometimes even if they didn't marry into the families, when one neighbor moved or found a good deal somewhere, sometimes the neighbors went with them. Oftentimes they had originally immigrated together. So great tip. I will absolutely go back and take a look at that. Well, again, if you would like to read up on David's tips for using the census, head to the show notes for this episode and you will find links to both the 2005 and the 2007 Family Tree Magazine compilation CDs that I mentioned to you where you'll find David's articles, or just go to FamilyTreeMagazine.com and click the Shop tab and click on CDs. Thanks again, David, for joining me and sharing, again, so many great ideas for using the census. I'm going to head to my computer and get going with them right now. Thanks. Good luck. Thanks so much for joining me for the May 2009 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet again here next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. You'll find that at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. Next, enter for your chance to win the class from genclass.com that Allison told us about. Email us at ftmpodcast at gmail.com with your name, email, and mailing address, and a topic that you would like to learn more about in a webinar by May 31st, 2009, and you will be entered in the drawing. Then be sure and tune into the June episode, and we will be announcing the winner. Then head to Facebook.com and try out that new application from Footnote.com. It's called I Remember. And finally, if you'd like to get David Frixell's great articles on getting more out of the census, you can get the Family Tree Magazine compilation CD for 2005 and 2007 or order the downloadable back issues. You'll find his article, Surfing the Census, in the April 2005 issue, and his article, Mastering the Census, in the May 2007 issue. Both are available at the website at FamilyTreeMagazine.com. And you can find links to the CDs and back issues, as well as all the websites that we've mentioned on today's show, on our webpage for this episode. Just go to FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcast and click on the May 2009 episode link. And if you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't already done so, 
Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for free through iTunes so that each episode will automatically be downloaded when it's published. iTunes is a free program, which you can download at apple.com slash iTunes slash download. And we do have two videos for you on the Family Tree Magazine podcast pages that'll walk you through downloading iTunes and also subscribing to this show for free. So thanks so much for joining me today. I am Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll visit me at my website, genealogygems.tv, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. <laughs>